Hello and welcome to Too Many Movies, the podcast where we discuss DVDs, Blu-rays, and even the occasional VHS tape. I'm your host, Hal, and today I got another special guest with me. Nick, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Nick. I run the YouTube channel Mr. Bamison. I make trailers online, and I also edit for... I'm another editor for Shaf, like like Hal. Mm-hmm. Another Shafe editor. Wow. What is this? There's a, a crossover lot of episode. We should unionize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of Shafrillas being the underwater creature that he is, let's talk about a movie today that has to do with an underwater creature. That being Jaws. Jaws. Jaws, yeah. Jaws. Love Jaws. So the funny thing about Jaws is I do own it on Blu-ray, as I've discussed with this podcast numerous times. It's a podcast where I go through my movie collection, and yeah. I just I talk about movies that are in my collection. Um, and I do have Jaws on a nice 4K Blu-ray, mm-hmm. but I didn't watch this 4K Blu-ray recently. Recently, I went to the cinemas, and I watched Jaws in IMAX. Uh as did you. Yeah, I did the same on Labor Day. It was really fun. Labor Day. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So, you wanted to talk about Jaws. Tell me your history with Jaws, Nick. What What's your history been with uh, Jaws? Well, um, as a kid, I was always obsessed with sharks. Like, my original thing I wanted to be was, like, a marine biologist because I loved sharks that much. And uh, I was introduced to Jaws through my dad, who um, originally showed me the movie because uh, he was a 70s kid and he grew up with uh, Jaws, Jaws 2, all the different movies. And he, mm-hmm. showed, he showed me it at a very early age. And that, that movie had such an impact on me that I was just like, okay, I'm not going to be a marine biologist. I'm going to be a filmmaker. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, so I didn't watch it until I was, like, 18 for the first time. I don't don't exactly know when, but uh, I was a teenager when I watched it for the first time. But, like, when I did watch it, I was just like, hey, this is pretty good. And it's it's gotten better over the years because I've learned to appreciate a lot of different things about it. Yeah. Um, I will say the first time I watched it, I was a little... I I was a little bored by the end. Not bored i was getting a bit tired because like you realize like the second half of the movie is just them on the boat looking for the shark i I do kind of feel the same even though i've watched this movie like hundreds upon hundreds of times i do Mm kind of get like it does kind of slow down a bit in like the second half but that doesn't really last that long for me yeah but also like there are parts to that second half that i love unconditionally that and obviously, because like you said, you've seen it hundreds of times. This is like, I don't know, fifth or sixth time of me watching it. Like, I'm used to it at this point. I'm just like, yeah, it goes on for a bit. But I know when it's starting to get to the end. So, like, it doesn't really bother me that much. Um, one thing I want to mention. So, obviously, I watched it in IMAX. Uh, we both did. Yeah. And it it's looked amazing. Oh, like, yeah. I, I, I said in my review recent my recent log of it on letterbox like that it's one of the best movies i've seen this year in a theater i mean i at first i said it was the best be- because it kind of was but then like i remembered oh yeah i saw the thing in theaters this year too I, I but that, I like i love i know i love that movie more than jaws but that's just me but 
Jaws still for a movie made in 1975 looks amazing on the big screen. I, like it was so freaking cool. Yeah, the underwater shots especially look Ooh, so yeah. good on the IMAX screen like uh that that shot of uh, Chrissy in the beginning where when the shark's like looking up at her is mm-hmm. like so it's such a good shot like uh, yeah, and the IMAX good. like brought out the best of it. I'm pretty sure you can see her tits in that scene, which is great. Yeah, I, I approve of that. I think it's funnier because Jaws is rated PG. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, I I wish PG movies were more like that. But no, like, yeah. So obviously, with the bigger screen, we got a lot more of that kind of stuff. Uh, one thing I definitely noticed, and I feel like I've kind of noticed this over the years, but I definitely was paying attention this time because I noticed it was like just the accents in this movie so i'm from boston and uh. i i grew up i i'm still i still live around the area and i grow up i grew up with like people with these kinds of accents where they're just like oh it's a shack out there on the water guy like this is like the way they talk where they just like don't pronounce their r's as heavy or they'll say like boston they're just like oh we're packing the car we're gonna go out back we're gonna go to the Sox game like i i've known those kinds of people and so like hearing those accents on the big screen i'm just like hell yeah dude boston representation yeah i i love when boston's represented in it's, media it's like uh, it's like with the godzilla they destroyed um boston. yeah yeah, I know. Well, I freaking love that. I love that movie. How it's just like Godzilla fucking disintegrates the John Hancock Tower. It's fucking insane. It'd be, it'd be funny. But I, it'd be funny if I, I like. Oh yeah, go it'd ahead. It'd be funny if they just went to, in the next movie. They just went to Ohio, <laughs> <laughs> and destroy uncultured swine and puff. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, yeah. So it, it's really cool, and I. Uh, growing up in Boston, I also grew up near Cape Cod, and like that's not where the movie takes place. It, take, it, it was filmed in Ma- Martha's Vineyard, which is like an island off the coast of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and it's of a fake town called Amity, which that's not. A, I don't think that's a real place in Massachusetts. No, it uh, if it is, I, yeah, no, I've never heard of it. Uh, but it is. It does have that Massachusetts beach town because I grew up like around Cape Cod. Like I go to Cape Cod for vacation every year, and it's like like just the way the old how old the houses look there's just stretches of road and there's just beaches everywhere it's awesome like i i feel like i've been to places like where it is in jaws like like the places you see in jaws where like the shark is where like uh all these people are just walking around because it's like this small town like like i feel like i feel like this movie really represents that kind of stuff really well um and it's i just really loved seeing that on the big screen it was freaking awesome and it, i think i think what's also i think what's also great about jaws is that it gets you like in that summer mindset it's like um oh yeah it's, it's like when you watch a a movie like uh, uh like a christmas movie during the holiday season exactly uh, yeah it, it just gets you ready for that kind of holiday Oh yeah, no, dude. I I every time I watch Jaws, I'm just like, which I think it's ironic. Every time I watch Jaws, I'm just like, man, I want to go to the beach. When like back in the day when it first came out, like like people were afraid to go to the beach after that. Like it was actually like uh, 
recorded like in history like like people go didn't go to the beaches often after that movie came out because they were just like so afraid of the water after that yeah like uh, which is a testament to how good the movie is but also just also a testament to how stupid people can be like uh (laughs) but in certain it's in certain marine go ahead in certain marine communities um it's uh like super controversial like especially in like people who study sharks or people who scuba dive it's especially controversial because it portrays sharks in like a very negative light yeah i definitely feel that especially like looking back and i mean you hear about like how like sharks are actually portray how sharks actually are and this did put kind of a negative connotation on sharks but like i mean how could it not like i feel like even without jaws we probably would have villainized them in some way but just because they got like the sharp teeth they're like massive they're they're so everything in sight they exactly so obviously and obviously i'm not expecting 100 percent accuracy from a hollywood film like i get it it's obviously made to be kind of fantastical i mean this is the same movie where the shark dies by like getting blown up by a by a scuba (laughs) tank and then it survives for three more movies yeah uh yeah so i'm not but even with that sense like i still feel like the movie's pretty grounded like i never once didn't buy what was happening like it seemed very grounded like and the characters seemed very real like i love the way that characters are portrayed in this movie like it's not just it's not like the way i'm trying to say it is like it's not like played up for like uh hollywood isms you know what i'm trying to say yeah, like she's trying to say like yeah it, it feels a little more real like it's not just like like the like obviously the villain of the movie is the mayor but i wouldn't say the mayor is like mustache twirling like hey, i'm so evil I, like i got i need the monies yeah i need the monies like I genuinely buy that this guy wouldn't want to open up. He wouldn't want to close down the beaches. I understand where he's coming from. I don't agree with him. I think he's a total asshat. But I think that's what makes it such an interesting movie is that I understand where he's coming from. I mean, it's the 4th of July weekend. Like, yeah, that's a huge time for, like, a small beach town off the coast of Massachusetts. Like, of course, that's when they're going to make their most money. And I mean, I, I noticed this time around Quint had said like it, it was during his scene when like he was scratching the chalkboard. Oh, and yeah, he said he like, says, like uh, you're going to be on welfare by the winter. Yeah, you're, you're if you don't hire me, you're going to be on welfare by the winter. It's just like, yeah, like if like this shark would have caused problems no matter what. So like I kind of get what he's going for. And I like that the movie just doesn't 100 percent villainize him. And also it doesn't 100 percent like make the heroes super likable like quince kind of an asshole uh, uh hooper has like his Hoop- douchebag moments yeah hooper's kind of a big douchebag where he's just like I- i'm the science guy i know what i'm talking about and then he just he just makes an ass of himself and is just like uh, but they're not unlikable and chief brody like he has his I, I moments love, where he i love chief brody with all my heart he's oh so oh me too he's good he's such a great character <laughs> like uh oh i don't know why unbelievably so yeah he reminds me of like a dog i don't know why just like (laughs) (laughs) a dog yeah like um Eh, i can kind of see it like uh he reminds me of like my old childhood dog specifically because uh Mm -hmm. he's like a 
he's like a big guy but he also just like it causes like accidents like uh, remember that scene in the beginning where he's like getting supplies for the signs and he accidentally knocks over like uh the paintbrush yeah. stuff that's that's something yeah. that my do- my childhood dog would do yeah and i like how he has this kind of fear towards the water because he's just like because oh, he that makes him kind of an outsider on the island yeah but i like that he is an outsider but he's not like he, he's not like uh shunned or anything like the people respect him but he is an outsider because like he's afraid of the water he's kind of out of his element but he's still the only one who can stop this shark because like he's the chief of police like he needs to make sure everything's in order and like things go smoothly or as smoothly smoothly as possible even though some of the characters can be assholes sometimes like they're still super endearing to watch like that's, oh that's yeah some, that's something that a lot of movies like this get wrong it's that the characters are just like big nothing burgers you know what i mean oh yeah <laughs> like definitely uh, like even as much as i love the monster verse i can't name a single thing about the characters yeah like other than brian cranston being a paranoid guy that's it yeah yeah that and that's something that like yeah a lot of movies try to replicate is they try to make like the characters seem cool and in like focused and like calm and they're just like oh we're so cool but we're also kind of assholes it's like but what this movie does well about that is like yeah brody's an asshole hooper's an asshole quinn's an asshole but like they feel real like they feel like like real people like i'm just like i could buy knowing someone like brody or quint and they screw up a lot like i know several people who act exactly like hooper like yeah exactly yeah exactly like these feel like real people like they're just beyond characters like and that's what makes them so endearing like that's what makes them like so fun to watch one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie one of my favorite scenes in any movie is when quint and hooper are comparing uh injuries like on the boat oh, yeah that that's i love that scene so much like it's so good i think it's it's a great way to like it's a great like i think the way it just switches from like comedy to the serious speech that Quint has about the Indi- the Indianapolis, and then yeah. it switches back to comedy is just like how the hell do you do that? Like it I know, does it and it's so just, seamlessly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and it's fantastic. It's a fantastic sequence. It's acted beautifully. I love how uh, Robert Shaw like delivers this story. Like because we don't see a flashback of him being on the Indianapolis, but like you still feel the horrors that he went through during that time. Cause just the way he's like reminiscing about it and talking about it, like it's fantastic. Robert Shaw actually wrote the speech. I think, I think I've heard like something like that. Like, yeah, it's like one of those situations where like he wrote the speech that I think also like I'm reminded of like when, uh, Oh, what's his name? Rutger Hauer wrote like the final speech in Blade Runner about like tears in the rain. Oh, yeah. So like, yeah, that's really cool when like speeches that are really popular are delivered by the actors and written by the actors. Like that's really cool. Yeah. Obviously, you know, they have to be good, but I mean, that's one of the cool things is like, it's actually a really good retelling of the USS Indianapolis and it's just fantastic it's a fantastic sequence i love that scene so much yeah um 
one of my other favorite shots is uh, in the beginning when it's after it's after the first kid dies. It's after like the first shark attack that's that people actually witness. Oh yeah, and uh, Brody and uh, Ellen, I think it is the wife's name, right? Yeah. Yeah, they like see their kids like, out on the boat, and Brody's just like, "Get out, get off the boat, get off the boat, oh, yeah. uh, Michael." And and then uh, and then Ellen's just like, "Oh, come on, just give it a chance." And then she like looks in the book, and there's like, and the she shark sees the shark the is like, the shark is attacking the boat, like it's straight up like poking a hole in the boat, and that's when she like slams the book, and it's just like, "Michael, get out of the boat!" Like I love that. I love how that's edited because it's like it's like she's just like oh it's not a big deal but then like she sees like in the boat and she like instantly understands like you don't need any dialogue for that like you instantly understand what she's thinking because of the sequence of events like oh it's brilliant i love i love that sequence it's so simple but it like communicates so much about what the characters are thinking and how the how paranoid they are another one of my favorite scenes is like immediately after that scene is like those those two guys on the pier who are trying to catch the shark off the dock. Yeah. I love that scene so much. Like the chemistry between the, the two people that we just met is so, is so fun to watch. But yeah, um, I think what also works is the, I think the score does a lot of the heavy lifting in that scene. Cause, um, like there's a particular moment that I keep going back to when I watch that scene. Um, they, it's like when one of the guys is in the water and the other guy is like, "Come on, come on, Charlie, swim back to the dock. Come on, Charlie." And uh, they, the the shark still isn't revealed. It's just like dragging a piece of the dock with it, and then yeah. uh, it shows a shot of the dock of that piece of the dock like turning around. And then, the, oh, yeah. and then the music starts to pick up. Like, that scene is so good and just, like, it's so perfectly executed. Like, like when that when the music starts to pick up, you know that it's gonna, sh- that it shit's gonna happen. <laughs> well, that's one of the brilliant things about this movie. So, like, you never see the shark in that scene, but it's, like, heavily implied. Like, that's one of the cool things about this movie are the scenes where you don't see the shark, but you know it's there. Yeah. Like, I think it's it's crazy how iconic this the Jaws theme has become. Especially, mm-hmm. it's it's just basically two notes. It's literally just two notes. That's it. Yeah, that's what's so brilliant about it. I, I it's <laughs> so simplistic yet so brilliant. That's it. It honestly rocks. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh. Oh, have you read? Have you read the book? I have not. I I'm not much of a book reader. I I'm I've always been more about films and stuff like that. Like I've always preferred like visual film and cinema kind of. I've tried reading. I used to try to read as a kid. I just I I've just always been more about film. Um, I've read the book. The, you know how they say like the book is better than the movie. Mm, yes it's definitely not in this case like the <laughs> yeah, book, i figured the book is like the book is just kind of eh. like mm-hmm. in the book everyone is a fucking asshole like <laughs> brody is a old man who's like struggling with his age and um 
he and he and his wife Ellen are like going through a nasty nasty fights like constantly. Um, uh. Quint is literally just a knockoff of like Captain Ahab from Moby Dick. Uh. Um, like he doesn't he doesn't talk a lot. He he doesn't meet his end like he does in the movie. He just gets he just gets like. He gets his foot like caught in a rope, and then he just gets whizzed off of the boat into the water. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like that's kind of anticlimactic. Um, and Hooper is like Hooper is like the biggest asshole in the book. In the book, he has an affair with Ellen. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh this sounds awful like jesus wow yeah no i guess it's i guess it's good that we got the movie version exactly that's that's awesome it's funny that you say that like uh quint is like an ahab ripoff because i do feel kind of that this movie does portray him as a little bit of a little bit of an ahab where like he's obsessed to get the shark but i like that it never calls attention to it like like the most we get is like him destroying the radio so then they can't contact land because he's because you you can you just you understand as an audience member you're like oh he's going insane yeah. like he just wants to get this shark and i like that i like that it doesn't really call attention to that it's just it's just heavily implied and you as the audience can just like interpret it that way yeah like um i think it all comes down to like the way he was written and the way that Robert Shaw performs him, like uh, mm-hmm. Robert Shaw's performance as Quint was just I don't know, the legendary. Like it's so good. Um, that was fantastic. Like he adds so much character to what little there was in the book. <laughs> <laughs> like I think it also comes down to the way it was written because a lot was changed in. Um, in between uh, adapting the book and the movie, actually, mm-hmm. the, how the shark dies in the book was also different. Um, oh, how how does he die? How does he die in the book? Um, in the book, uh, so in the book, Brody's in, in the sinking boat, and mm-hmm. uh, Brody's just kind of floating in the water as the shark is circling him, and Brody's just like, "Okay, I'm gonna die. Make it quick," and uh, then the shark basically succumbs to wounds from hooper uh, that hooper gave him and dies like on the spot uh, yeah oh <laughs> it's so again i'm glad we got the movie version like yeah it's a big dumb explosion but like it's that so works a hell of a lot better yeah it's so it's, it's so, so good satisfying. it's fine it's it's ex- it's also extremely satisfying watching it on IMAX in a big screen. Like that was freaking loud. Oh, it yeah. was amazing seeing that explosion on the big screen, especially in IMAX. I was just oh, like, yeah. whoa! Just like, it's it's like boom. You just like yeah. It still it surprises you every time. Yeah. Um, I don't really have much else to say. Would do you have anything else you want to say before we get into uh, the final thoughts? I... Uh, what what if uh, I remember seeing a robot chicken sketch where uh, Spielberg made like a Jaws special edition? Oh, and um, <laughs> and it was like um, the shark showing up in like random places, <laughs> like uh, oh, okay, <laughs> like, uh, like on the boat, uh, 
Quint was just like, oh, there's the shark, Chief, throw the harpoon right now. Uh, Brody, like, throws the harpoon. The shark catches it and uh, is just like, you miss me, you dried up douchebags. <laughs> There's, like, scenes where, like, the shark will just, like, pass by and, like, block the scene. Like, yeah, just like the <laughs> the alien camel in A New Hope Special Edition. No, yeah. Kind of, yeah, but it's actually a really funny sketch. I'll link, I'll link no. it to you after we're done. Yeah, I should. I yeah, I, I miss watching Robot Chicken as a kid. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, to wrap up our film discussions here on this podcast, uh, I make the decision whether I'm going to keep uh, the Blu-ray. So as I said, I have Jaws on a 4K Blu-ray. It's actually really cool. It has like a cover that's like scratches, like yeah, like that. I, oh, yeah. I don't know what you call that. Like I, I don't. Know I, what... I know that this thing. Yeah, I know it has a name. I just don't know what it is. Um, it also it also comes with a uh, Jaws booklet. It's like a booklet that's just has like so much info information. Like that's really cool. And as I said, it's on 4K. It looks amazing on 4K, yeah. as it did. It looked amazing on IMAX. So this is a definite keep for me. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you own it on Blu-ray or something? I don't. I don't have a. I only have a DVD player. Mm-hmm. But um, I have a poster. Yeah. Well, you know what? Close enough. Like yeah. posters, really cool. Yeah. No. I. I. For all you listeners out there who have not seen Jaws, please watch it. Uh, and yeah, it's a definite keep for me. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything last minute to say about Jaws? Don't watch the sequels. If, yeah, if, don't watch the sequels. If, if you're curious enough, watch Jaws 2 and leave it at that. Yeah, or just watch the scene on YouTube from Jaws 4 where the, the shark roars. Like, that's or literally just, the only the, thing. Just watch the Nostalgia Critic review. Like I st- Honestly, honestly, yes. Just watch the Nostalgia Critic reviews, like, unironically. Like, you're going to get a lot more out of those than you are just watching the movies. Literally. Yeah. Um... Okay, speaking of the nostalgia critic, who's uh, he, he does satires, uh, let's talk about a satire movie that we watched. Uh, Blazing Saddles was the other movie you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So I own it on Blu-ray as well. It's a Mel Brooks movie I've seen a bunch of times. Um, so tell me, how did you first watch Blazing Saddles? What's your history with Blazing Saddles? My history with Blazing Saddles isn't as extensive as Jaws was. Like, my dad is a huge Mel Brooks fan, but I never saw Blazing Saddles until I was like I, until I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and uh, I watched it on when it was on Netflix, and I loved it. Yeah, no, so I. I grew up uh, knowing about Mel Brooks basically through his cameo in the Muppet movie and Big Weld and Robots. <laughs> um, but when I got older, I definitely, yeah, Big Weld. I definitely discovered his uh, more of his movies. So I watched uh, Spaceballs and Young Frankenstein like when I was mid to late teens, and I watched Blazing Saddles. I remember the first time I watched Blazing Saddles. Um, it was with my dad and my mom was in the room and it was the opening when like, uh, 
they just start profusely using the n-word and my mom was just like did i hear that right and me and my dad were like yeah (laughs) she just walked out of the room like all right i'm not watching this and so but then we watched the rest of it and it was it was so funny it's this is funny i've said for years that this is one of my favorite comedies i may not i think the more times i watch it i definitely don't I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite comedy, and I don't think it's even my favorite Mel Brooks movie. With that said, it's still definitely up there, but it is something that the more times I've watched it, the more I have noticed a lot of like things I don't really like about it. Like, So obviously it's a movie that puts its jokes first, like at the forefront. Like At the forefront, it's nothing but the jokes, the humor, the gags, like and yeah. that's what the movie's about. Like, it's just about being this raunchy, raunchy comedy. And that's fine. When it's actually focused on the jokes, it's really funny. Um, I will say, though, there is a bit, bit of some pacing that I'm not a fan of. But I, I've learned to forgive that kind of stuff because the good stuff is just so, so funny. I, th- I think it's funny that you bring up the pacing because uh, when I was watching it, like it went by like really fast like it felt it didn't feel like an hour and a half it felt like 45 minutes yeah no it is definitely short and i do appreciate that i think what it is is there are certain scenes where it feels like it's trying to establish more and you're just like uh, uh, like sometimes maybe the jokes don't land as well like there are certain scenes like i'm thinking of like when it's and maybe it's not really a problem with the pacing but it's just a problem with the delivery because this does feel like a much longer and much more raunchy version of like say the looney tunes you know what i'm saying i think it's funny that you bring up the looney tunes because they play the theme in that in the movie well i was gonna say like there's that scene where like uh bart like goes up to mongo is like candy gram from mongo and it's like that's literally like a bugs bunny that's literally like a Bugs Bunny short, like right there. It's just him, like being like, "Here's this box of candy," and like explodes in his face. Like that's that's like, literally what his line delivery of like candy grab for Mongo. Like that's he kind of channeled an inner Bugs Bunny there during that line delivery. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like the rest of the movie definitely has that kind of Looney Tunes energy, uh-huh. where it's like it's kind of like this big cartoon, like. Every once in a while, the characters will just turn towards the camera and address the audience. How he's just like, like there's that scene when Headley Lamar is just like, "Why am I asking you?" When he's asking the audience, like, "Where am I gonna find this sheriff?" And like, there's several times where Black Bart just like looks at the camera. He's just like, "The drunken cell number two seems to be awake." It's just like, like they'll just address the audience because like, and then of course you have that big fourth wall break at the end where like, it, like the camera pans out from like them fighting in the middle of town, and you see it's just a set on the Warner Brothers lot. And then it just go, and then the movie just continues into the into like the Warner Brothers studio lot, and it's freaking unbelievable. Yeah, they were just like wa- watching the movie as it was happening in the Chinese theater. Yeah, I love that. I love how Hedley Lamar tries to get like a student ticket. <laughs> he- Which yeah, so I want to say that Hedley Lamar, one of my all time favorite comedy villains. Oh yeah, he's like, great. Harvey Corman freaking knocks it out of the park. Yeah, he's great honestly he's so good he's just he's such a great comedic foil but he is also just really funny on his own 
like a lot of the times he reminded me of uh i want to say uh, uh, he reminded me of ted knight in caddyshack how he's like how he's supposed to be like the the comedic foil because he's like the straight man just like the uppity snooty guy but he also has so much comedic value to himself as well like he's not just a goofball like he actually is legitimately funny yeah he just has so many freaking lines that i just remember just the way he says things <laughs> froggy loves daddy daddy loves froggy i love that shit uh what uh, i think uh i think it was one of my favorite line deliveries from him was uh when he gets shy at the end uh he's just he lies down on like the walk of fame and he sees like uh the footprints of uh douglas something uh yeah, i think it's douglas fairbanks douglas fairbanks so he's just like how how did he do those fantastic stunts with such little feet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's just he's so good. I I need to see more Harvey Corman movies cuz like he's just I need to see more movies with him in them because he's just so funny. I think it's I think it's one of the weird movies where Gene Wilder isn't the most fun character in the movie. Yeah, that's the thing. So, like, yeah, obviously Gene Wilder, he's in, he's actually been in a, another movie that I've talked about on the podcast, Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, and he was very animated in that movie. He's a little reserved here, but, like, I feel like that ad, that he, he does it very well. Like, he's actually still a character. Yeah. Even though he's not, like, batshit crazy like he was in Young Frankenstein or especially in um, uh, Willy Wonka. I think uh, a lot of them were a lot of the characters were super animated except for Gene Wilder. Like that's a first for me. Yeah, that was interesting to see from him, but he played it really, really well. Yeah. Um, I also thought that the that Bart was also just a really good character. Like uh, every scene with him was really entertaining to watch. It wasn't like as funny as. Um, uh, what what's the villain's name again? Headley Lamar. Lamar. It wasn't as funny with like every scene with Headley Lamar, but he still had a very good comedic presence that was legitimately very entertaining to watch. Yeah, I will say I think one of the things I've definitely kind of not grown to not really like as much with this movie is Black Bart himself. Obviously, uh, props to. Cleavon Little, like, he does a great job for what he's given, and he is very funny. He can deliver, like, really funny lines. I just don't think he's as funny as, like, the other characters, and I think I remember hearing, like, his his character was supposed to be portrayed by Richard Pryor, but Richard Pryor didn't want to do the role, so, like, he just ended up, like, working on the screenplay for the movie. That's why he's credited for working on the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I would have loved to have seen Richard Pryor as Black Bart. Like, I feel like he could have done a really excellent job in the role. Yeah, like I, I, I can't really say anything about that because I haven't seen Richard Pryor in much of anything. Um, I all I know is that he was in Superman three. He was in Superman three. <laughs> he was well. As bad as Superman 3 was, and it was very bad, uh, he was the only thing I was like, well, 
at least this is entertainingly bad. But yeah, no, that Superman three fucking horrendous. Don't watch it. The movie, this movie, kind of just makes me think of like the the way Jojo Rabbit does satire. Like it makes. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, it just makes the people who have, like, those racist ideals just look absolutely ridiculous. But uh, I think what does does the two differently is, like, Blazing Saddles is definitely a lot more joke-oriented, while Jojo mm-hmm. Rabbit it has a lot more, like, serious weight. It, there's still a significant amount of, like, jokes in Jojo Rabbit, but there's still, like, a hefty amount of serious scenes, like, tying it down. Yeah, and I feel like that's one of the things that kind of makes Blazing Saddles a bit weird for me is like it does feel like it's trying to have weight to it when in reality like it's literally just one of the most ridiculous movies ever. Like there's that scene where like Lily von Stupp is like tied to like a radiator and Hedley Lamar is like trying to get information out of her and it's like okay, like one why should i care too like why is this here and also later in the movie she's just with the other characters yeah like i i don't i don't understand her motives in this movie like and obviously i don't think she's supposed to have motives because she's just a joke but i i don't know i'm just wondering like why include her like uh, it just it just she just felt very out of place in this movie it was very strange yeah like um it, like comparing it to like Mongo, who like Mongo had a point. Yes, Madeline Stoop. I didn't see her point at all. Yeah, she was just kind of there. I mean, Madeline Khan is very funny, yeah. but I don't know. Just yeah, there was just she just she just didn't really have any agency in the movie, and you could have cut her out, and nothing really would have changed. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Do you have anything else you wanted to say? Because I wanted to mention a little something about uh, Blazing Saddles. Uh, not really. Not really, no. Okay. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who have seen uh, Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, oh God. <laughs> it's basically a Blazing Saddles ripoff for no reason. <laughs> Which has Mel Brooks in it, too. Yeah, so... So here's the thing about Pause of Fury. I imagine you didn't watch it. Oh, I'm... Um, I'm no. <laughs> no. You know what? It's fine. Like, I totally get it. It's it's not worth it. It, it It's not worth it's it. Not, it is, is so it, terrible. It's not even ironically um, funny? No, it's not. It really isn't. Like, there are plenty of ironically funny movies from this year. Like, like Moonfall, Morbius ironically funny like those are great ironically funny movies like you could get so much more out of than watching it, it's pause so of much fury fun making fun of morbius like oh yeah no like unironically morbius is a, literally so much better than pause of fury so first off the idea of a kid-friendly blazing saddles is stupid already but then you actually watch it in action and you're just like this is so confused so obviously it has like that whole racism element brought to it because the main character is a dog and literally every other character is a cat. But it's like, but they treat it like so stupidly because they're just like, oh, you're a dog. We hate you because you're different. And like that, like literally the, the dialogue is exactly that. That's, like that's, that's just it. how they explain it. It's, uh, it's kind of like, um, what was it? I'm trying to think of a movie that didn't really handle like, 
race um, race themes that well. Uh, pick one. There's like a bajillion. Ah <laughs> uh, shit! <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think of a follow through. <laughs> Uh no, I mean Green Book, Zootopia, like literally any of them. I mean, those just were, like, those were like developed like a little. Like I mean Green Book not so much, but yeah. Like, yeah, well well the thing with Zootopia is like it I mean Zootopia say what you will about it, like I I'm not a fan of how it handles that kind of stuff, but like it's not terrible. Like it is better than Pause of Fury when it handles oh this God. stuff. Like Pause of Fury, it's literally just I'm a dog, I'm different, and it's like, oh, we're all cats, we're different from you, so we don't like you. Uh, but then like they just rip off jokes. Like there's literally a scene where Ricky Gervais is essentially the Headley Lamar of that movie, uh-huh. and he literally does address the audience because he's just like, "Why am I asking you?" Because he's like, "Where would I find a sheriff? Why am I asking you?" But he delivers it so terribly that the joke is not funny. Like <laughs> it doesn't work the way he says it. He's just like, "Why am I asking you?" And it's just like, it delivery delivery is so important when it comes to jokes. And I get it; it's a kids' movie, but like they could have made it so much funnier and it wasn't there was not a single time i laughed during this whole movie it was actually kind of amazing i think what's also weird about that movie is how stacked it is like there are a lot of people in it like oh yeah like i love i'm gonna pull up the full cast here uh (laughs) samuel l jackson's in it michael Sarah, mel brooks ricky gervais Michelle Yeoh is in it. What the fuck yeah. is Michelle Yeoh doing in this? She was in every. I know, she was it, in everything, everywhere, all at once earlier this year. What the hell is she doing in here? She was also in Minions too. Oh my God, she was. <laughs> I know. Twenty twenty two is her year, man. No. She's been in everything. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like the cast on their own is pretty good. Like. Ricky Gervais can be very funny. Mel Brooks is very funny. Samuel Jackson, Michael Sarah, uh, Digimon Hansu, like Gabriel Iglesias, Michelle Yeoh, like all these actors have done fine work, like in other stuff. They're just not good here. Like they are genuinely just so unfunny. And that's one of the things about Pause of Fury. It's not funny. It's just it's literally ripping off Blazing Saddles in the worst way, and then it's like just coming up with the like most cliched children's movie jokes that you could see. Like, I think even minions would be embarrassed to have in their movie. Like, how many, like what, what percentage of the movie was just fart jokes? Um, Hmm. I'm going to say maybe about like 5%. That's still, and maybe that's, that is a little bit too conservative, but that's, that's I, I would say decent. between maybe about like five or 10%. It's still a decent amount. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to mention Pause of Fury because I watched it and I wanted to just mention it here because Blazing Saddles. And no surprises, Blazing Saddles is obviously the superior version of the story. Um, uh, I don't know. Just, was there anything else you wanted to say about Blazing Saddles? Um, I did want to bring this point up about Pause of Fury. Um, yeah. So uh, when I... When I was in LA, I was um, I was in LA around the same time that Pause of Fury was coming out in theaters, and mm. the advertising for it was surprisingly like very apparent. Like 
I saw posters of that big sumo wrestler cat fucking everywhere. You and it wasn't like just on like posters on the street. There were buses with it. There were there was um billboards with um what else what else is there? There was there was a bench, a bench de- dedicated to Paws of Fury. <laughs> what if we kissed on the Paws of Fury bench? <laughs> the like and it was it it would it would have been just fine if it was like the regular poster. You know, you know it was hung up hung up all over the place. Oh, I think what's also funny is that it wasn't even originally called Paws of Fury. Yeah, well that's the other thing I actually also wanted to mention. Um it was originally called Blazing Samurai and I know this because, well, it was originally called Blazing Samurai. I remember it being listed on Letterboxd as Blazing Samurai, but also the opening title literally says Blazing Samurai as if it's the title of the movie. What? And then there's a scene when a character, like, lets go of a bow and arrow, and the arrow is, like, flying through the air with a flaming uh, origami version of the dog character, and it like pauses on it and it says blazing samurai and it like points to it and it's just like what okay wait so they like, so they did your movie's called pause of fury this n- makes no sense wait, so, like... so they didn't change the title in the movie nope well what? obviously they named it pause of fury legend of hank but like the uh the references they make to it being called blazing blazing samurai are still in the movie uh yeah th- this I saw this everywhere. It was all over the place in LA. <laughs> it was like it was that image has been like branded into my brain now cuz I've seen it so many fucking times. Blazing Samurai August 2017. Oops. From from the director of The Lion King. Yeah, dude, The Lion King. It's practically the same movie. And What's also really funny is there's an Instagram for it, like, and they sh- they posted like memes. Oh no! Oh god! Leadership. What is the mother father? What in the mother father cocker spaniel is going on here? Oh. Oh yeah, he makes that joke in the movie. Ugh, God, that's so bad. It's so terrible. Such a terrible, terrible movie. Uh, but it's okay because Blazing Saddles is much better. Um, at least m- so. Mel I, is I guess to wrap up our discussion on Blazing Saddles, unless you had anything else to say. Nothing. No, I got nothing. All right, cool. I do have it on Blu-ray. Um, it's a definite keep. I love this movie so much. It's not my favorite Mel Brooks movie. I think I prefer uh, Spaceballs personally, but I think I like. I definitely like this more than Young Frankenstein. Um, so oh, it's yeah. definitely, uh, it's definitely one I will keep uh, for sure. So, uh, do you have it on Blu-ray or do you have it at all in your physical possession? I don't. Well, get on it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I only have like a small collection, and it's not, and most of it's not even mine. Yeah, well, we all got to start somewhere, I guess. Okay. Um, 
All right, this is the part of the show where I think we're going to wrap things up. Nick, shout out your stuff. Plug what you want to plug. Um, I got nothing I want to plug, like, literally. <laughs> like Okay, uh, well, I'll still link your channels and Letterboxd in the uh, description below. Yeah, I'm making a Fury Road trailer, if that. Ooh, very cool. Yeah. All right, so keep an eye out for that, everybody, a Fury Road trailer. Um, okay then, I'd say that about does it. Thank you all for watching, thank you all for listening, thank you Nick for coming on the podcast to talk about Jaws and Blazing Saddles and a third movie that's not even worth mentioning again. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Alright, thank you all for listening, but now it's time to say goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen, baby! Oh,